0: Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, keeping you across the biggest news in the world of TV. If you've been living under a rock for the past five years, you may not have noticed that the broadcasters are a little bit worried about those crafty 16 to 34-year-olds. But what is it like on the other side of the fence? Joining myself and Hannah Bowler this week are two millennial indie bosses, Brandon Ralph and Danny Joshi who discuss their experiences running a production company while simultaneously sitting within that elusive target market. All that, plus a youth skewing version of what we've been watching on this week's Broadcast News Wrap. So Brandon, Danny, welcome. It's great to have you on the News Wrap this week. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Great to be here.
0: Good to have you here. So just just by way of quick introduction, Danny Joshi founded BAFTA-nominated Big Deal Films in twenty fourteen with Thomas Stogden. Uh, he has since worked with pretty much all of the broadcasters, most recently seeing BBC Three pick up the critically rated comedy slice Dreaming While's Black. Uh, which if you haven't seen it, is well worth a watch. Brandon founded his company Studio B two years ago at the tender age of 19. Studio B counts its USP as flipping the AI model on its head, using AI to create content that can be personalized for global audiences on a granular level. Studio B has since worked with YouTube and other brands, uh, and also hosts uh, the ZX Spectrum, an intergenerational podcast looking at tech, media, digital, and society. So look, first of all, uh, I'm really keen to get to know why you guys decided to set up an indie in the first place. So Danny, you set your company up a a bit longer ago than Brandon. So what what was the thinking behind it? I was deluded. (laughs) Apart from
2: that. (laughs) Um, Okay, so apart from delusion, why I started it is I was a talent manager first. So I managed an actor that went on to win a BAFTA. Um, I was managing Hamza Arshad, who was at the time the UK's first big major YouTuber. And two things, Uh, firstly, I was still working in a call center and earning as a manager wasn't paying me enough. And uh, two, there was a huge shortage of opportunities for uh, talent that were on screen that were of color. We just weren't getting any kickback. I felt the pedestal for uh, diverse talent at the time was super high. They had to achieve ridiculous numbers, whereas I felt that our slightly lighter counterparts could get in the door a lot easier. So in my ignorance, um, I just and just my frustration, I just said, okay, well, I'll be the production company. I'll work a way around this, and I'll do your ideas, and we'll get them through the door. And uh, that's what I did. That's what uh, got me to start anyway.
0: Brandon, how, how about yourself? You you founded
2: your company a little bit more recently.
1: Yeah, so it was it was kind of more of a a kind of accidental sort of falling into it I uh, I have an agent for lots of my speaking so probably a talent manager similar to what uh, you know Danny used to be and my co-founder Lizzie and I had this uh, had lots of concepts for content that we thought would work really well for young people on television we saw that there was this big sort of gap um, in that and um, Lizzie and I both have history and you know building companies and things like that and are manager basically said you know it's really hard to get stuff on screen it's probably not going to happen and I sat down with somebody that I knew from the television industry a guy called Tony Dillon and he was like Brandon you're like the most entrepreneurial person I know why don't you start and do something yourself and so in all honesty that's literally how it started it started over a coffee from Lizzie and I going this work's you know, for us, let's try and let's do something different and new. And so we we kind of, you know, brought it all together, collaborated with lots of people um, in the industry. Uh, Lizzie and I have never made a minute of television in our life, although we had made stuff online. But you know, we were really sort of passionate and eager to see how how could content uh, be made better for young audiences.
3: Going back to what you just said about kind of reaching out to the rest of the industry how did you how did you negate kind of making those relationships
1: in in all honesty lots of car our, our chairman stuff I literally just sent cold emails <laughs> it, it, nice. you know um, I was very fortunate Prior to starting Studio B, I was a consultant, so I did have some contacts because I was consulting into uh, some of the, some media companies before, but a lot of it was going to events. I, I first went to the Children's Media Conference in 2019 and met lots of people there. And then, um, honestly, lots of cold emails and reaching out to people and other people introducing them to other people. And, you know, I think I've had kind of an interesting pathway to do that and you know i i think it's you know lots nowadays you go and you look on the commissioning websites and things like that lots of them are very open to be reached out directly and i think that's what we found in our experience
3: did you have the same danny was that a lot of cold emails as well or or kind of benefited from being kind of already in the sector
2: no so uh i look back at some of the earlier emails that i used to send out i'm like i didn't know you had such big balls um (laughs) I was just, some of them, I I look back with awe and I'm like, wow, you had some fun, Danny boy. But yeah, no, that was just the actual truth. I just, I had the ultimate belief that um, I needed to be heard and I didn't worry so much about why they wouldn't want to hear me out. I just thought, why not just shoot my shot and just reach out? So yeah, like Brandon did as well, a lot of cold emails in the beginning and um, I'd keep it very quick. Look, give me 15 minutes and I'll let you know why I'm going to make you loads of money. and that was my initial pitch to everyone, to uh, producers that we wanted to work with, to channels who I felt we could make great shows for. And, you know, honestly, we got a lot of, we got, uh, there was, of course, some blanks and some no answers, but there also were some people that would, for for every 10 that didn't get back to me, there was that one that would. And when we got that one that would, we'd make sure we over deliver. Actually, how I even got in the door as well with and just playing, and this is just looking at the, using your front and just like, you know, having a bit of bravado. So there was a channel called London Live that um, started back early 2014. And they wanted Hamza on their channel. is the guy that I manage. And this is when we were thinking about setting up big deal films and it was in our head to do it, but we just were waiting for the right opportunity. And a gentleman called Darren Lawford, who's now the creative director of Woodcut Media, uh, he reached out and I said to him, I said, Darren, look, And again, I didn't know who he was. Uh, I said, look, you can have the show only if we produce it. And I wasn't familiar with negotiations with TV executives like that. But, um, and I said, and on top of that, you've got to listen to our ideas as well. And if you like our ideas, you've got to give us a commission. And uh, we turned up in suits. I didn't know about dressing like a TV person back then. So when I tell you I went in a suit, I mean, I it, I was looking good, right? The waistline was a little bit more friendly back right then as well, right? I wasn't aware of the plus thirties metabolism that you get. But anyways, get in there, go in there with fully fledged treatments. I I knew that he might discount our experience, but I would attach PDs, editors, executive producers, whatever. But uh, but I just I, I would over deliver with that one person that would take us, you know, give us a shot, and then that's how we became born. But definitely just taking the risk and thinking, whatever, I just do it.
0: And it feels like from both of your experiences that there's no real blueprint to this stuff. Like, do you almost, it feels like you almost have to make the mistakes or just try and do it your way in order to eventually work out how to do it
1: yeah well I think I think definitely for us both you know not to speak too much you Danny but obviously we both didn't come to I, I think the traditional route to owning an indie is you work your way up the the sort of level you become exec producer and then you sort of spin off and start your own indie I think we've both found sort of non-traditional paths there uh, but I think you know if anything I think that gives us kind of a, a different kind of outlook and a different skill set i mean something that i'd be really excited in this last year is looking at you know new techniques and new ways we can create content and you know from talking to other people across the industry it's kind of like oh this isn't how it's done and it's like well maybe this is how it should be done
2: uh yeah i never studied media studies i did i tried it at as level and then i dropped it after the first It, (laughs) it was an easier a level to get what I did have was instincts and I could spot talent and I, what I, I was aware of my skill set which was I had a big mouth and I was very persistent so um you know in a room I'll always say I'm the least talented person you will ever meet right but I spot talent one thing I can do is I'll know who's good and then I'll see how I can pair that person up with this person who might be able to help out and that was my route to market I partnered up with the first ever music artist that I was managing I said look you've got ideas even if you're not even if they're not in the music realm anymore, you're still a creative person. You love TV, you're always talking about TV and film. I, I made an introduction for him to go meet a production company and uh, and then I just carried on doing my navigation. But I definitely, I hire people way more qualified than I am. My God, I mean, sometimes I meet Oxford, Cambridge people and I'm just like, damn, I've got six pieces That was three B's and three C's. How the hell? Did <laughs>
1: I love that. I think, um, you know, my my always perspective has been uh, I kind of come from the businessy side and the creative side. And I mean, in my first kind of career and my first startup, I was, uh, you know, I literally used to make video games. and I used to make online shows around Minecraft. Um, and I think it, you know, I think we both have very different skill sets, but, you know, there's been lots and lots of talk especially in the last year of the sort of demise of television and things like that but i think it takes innovators and people you know new thinking to sort of approach those issues and approach those challenges
3: yeah i was, I was gonna say do you do you feel like you're sought out by the broadcasters that are kind of trying to crack the 16 to 34 um, and do you do you feel like you're kind of like hot property to be able to kind of bring them what they're looking for in terms of trying to crack that space <laughs>
1: I would love to say yes, but um, I don't know if it's the same for you, Danny, but uh, we, um, we do get pushback. And I think, you know, anybody and everybody deals with pushback in their, in, in their careers. Uh, I think because we have a different model and a different way, you know, at Studio B, we very much think about ideas on a global stage and things like that. And I think it, it can sometimes be a bit of a frightful jump for for the, the commissioners but you know i think we're in a situation right now where you know we've got we've done lots of the preparation work obviously covid had a big impact on the industry and on us and i think that we're you know ready to go raring out the gates and become the hot property but i think there'll be a time where that will happen but um i think broadcasters right now are a bit more focused on survival than innovation definitely
2: definitely Sure. Well, i think uh, for us uh... We are known for young audiences with some of our unscripted and scripted shows. We're known for bringing diverse, quote unquote, diverse audiences for our shows as well. And I think they kind of expect that from us now. So I think over the last few years, we've almost shown ourselves to be somewhat of an authority on this. And I think that's actually through the talent that we work with because these talents that we work with obviously have audiences. Those audiences are young. Uh, We worked with Michael Dapper, and we did his uh, series Swill. Michael Dapper had the popular Big shack character and um, his audience was 16 to 24 and massively, massively, massively popular. So I think how we established ourselves as being this company that knows young audiences was through the talent that we were aligning with. Hamza has a massively popular character called Badman, which again, who we work with. So what we would do as well is every time we had any kind of um, productions we would always make sure that was communicated to the press uh, god bless broadcast magazine but it allowed us to carve out an identity that the channels would then start to take notice of and you do treat the channels as though they're stupid sometimes in the sense of like guys i'm giving you this on a plate and we have had that in the past but i think and uh, and uh, brandon no doubt you'll have this as you move forward as well is if you get a few wins and you start to get that trust and then start to become that person and eventually you'll be that company and no doubt I mean I'm well impressed by you now Jesus Christ <laughs> I, get to my age. I think with that consistency and with that delivering you'll get there. I, th-
1: I think that there's very much consistencies in our approach as well with the talent you know I've grown up watching lots of online creators and been very much in that and I think one of our core focuses has been over the past couple of years has been to you know, mature and build those relationships with those, you know, content creators and younger talent in the industry. Um, And I could, you know, quite confidently say now that I could call up most of them and have them, you know, come onto a project pretty quickly, because we have all those relationships. And I think, you know what we kind of found, and I don't know what your experience has been, Danny, but what we sort of found early on is that some of the you know the best ideas for young audiences come from young people themselves and come from you know those creators online that have built audiences because they know what audiences want. Um, and so, lots and lots of my job is literally just to sit there and listen and uh, you know turn those into a bit more of a television ready and a you know broadcast ready idea. I think that's that's. You know, I think I'm in agreement that talent is kind of what underpins everything.
2: I'm noticing more actually with the channels that we're speaking to that they all want talent. They all want who's a talent attached. Today I was asked by a channel, yeah, we were speaking to this talent and they've got 4 million followers. And it seems as though that's really the currency that they're speaking at the moment. It was actually quite refreshing. Sometimes it could be frustrating, like, oh, my God, we're not going to find this talent. On the flip side, um, just knowing that okay, cool, if that's their route to market because they're now trying to convert users to go to their online platform, it makes it makes sense. So um, I take encouragement from it, really. But uh, it is a, I think that's just the, the direction everything is moving forward in, to be honest.
1: And I think for creators online as well, uh, they still very much look to traditional television and traditional media as a, you know, the next step or the next you know sort of level so we're you know always inundated but I like to always say that we we as a company like to be extremely creative first so if you come to us with an idea we will work with you with that idea you know I think what's happened in the industry you know in the last five years or so is that commonly creators are taken and essentially just sort of propped on a screen as a presenter or some piece of talent that uses for a you know, subsection to get those clicks or something like that. Um, And we actually feel, you know, they need to be treated, you know, as the talent that they actually are, you know, for a lot of online creators, their talent base moves much wider than just being an on screen, you know, talent. They have so many skills behind the scenes and they have such creative minds. Um, And I almost see, you know, online creators as the sort of people that would probably have ended up in television anyway, And now are instead, you know, building their own media empires online. And it's, you know, how can we bridge the gap between the two?
3: Yeah, it it has been tricky to... There's been quite a few examples where, like, a channel has just taken a YouTube creator and put them on a show and and it hasn't landed and it hasn't worked. Um, So it is interesting to work out how to kind of nurture them in a way that can keep the show alive, because... It has happened a lot of times where it's kind of Mm -hmm. not played off, and and why that is is quite interesting.
1: Yeah, well, we've we've literally walked away from commissions and development money because of the channels come in and said we want to do this instead. But we really like that talent and the connection that you have. But we want to do this instead, and we've gone, you know, no, that's not what we're about. You know, we, we, for example, made a very conscious decision at the start of the pandemic that we weren't gonna make any pandemic shows. It wasn't the ethos of what our company was about. And I think similarly, we, you know, we believe that creators fundamentally understand their audience best. And if, if you're, you're hiring us as a channel to essentially target and find that audience, that's kind of what we're good at. And I think, I don't know what your experience has been, Dali.
2: Having worked with say Michael Dapper, for example, We've seen channels say, "Look, we like what you're doing, and we'll give you, you know, we'll 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 offer you a show, and it will be like like a pilot." And it's like, guys, you're talking about a comedian, you're talking about a talent that's got millions of followers, three hundred million views, and whatnot. And the what you're offering just has to match the caliber of talent that you're dealing with. And like with talent like that they make more money off their their platform, their YouTube platform, they bill off any kind of appearance fee. And I I think sometimes the balance in power gets lost. And I I feel it doesn't really help the ecosystem. Okay, some talent will ask for astronomical money and that's just not sustainable either. But I think sometimes um, the platforms or the channels do need to be aware of what the talent is really bringing. I agree. And at the same time, I've also been in situations where Um, working with the talent a different talent hasn't necessarily translated into the response that we wanted on you know on iPlayer or on Tube you know you'll think that 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 talent's going to bring a ton of viewers over he's got 1 million subscribers he's going to bring 1 million people over to the the platform doesn't always happen if you don't give them what they want sometimes you can make the mistake of because they're talent you think I'm going to put them on the platform they'll do what we want them to do or they'll do what the channel wants them to do and it will just naturally translate, not going to happen.
1: I think it's an interesting uh, almost kind of argument around it as well is the the fact that I think you know when you're using talent like that that there's not going to be a 100% hit rate and it's not going to be there because even if you know we remove that and in regular television programming if we take out creators and things like that there, it, you don't have a 100% hit rate anyway but I feel like sometimes there's an expectation that there should be an 100% hit rate with creators and with, you know, digital talent when, you know, it's kind of not on the same, it's not held to the same standards as every other program on television.
2: They want that instant gratification. Mm-hmm. they want that quick hit. Oh, this person's got a ton of followers, we'll get it. No, you have to really make sure your is the one. You have to really develop that. You have to take the person on a journey. And yeah, I think that's a mistake that even I'm guilty of thinking, I've made, it. I made a TV show five or six years ago called All About the Bands for ITV. It was a hidden camera show and we had we had Tinchy Strider hosting it. Tinchy had just come off the back of being one of the fan favourites and I'm a Celebrity. We also had Aaron Craskill, who is a Facebook comedian who has millions of followers. We had London Hughes. So London Hughes, who's super popular now, we had her on the show and maybe a couple more talents. And I thought, okay, we've covered... We've covered mainstream TV, we've covered social media, we've covered all of these things. We've covered specialist audiences at the time. And we, we surely, we're gonna get a hit here. And we got, we got great in social interaction, but it wasn't a hit, right? It wasn't a hit. That was a mistake i made in thinking, oh great. And then if I thought about it, the show was okay. I missed some basic beats in the hidden camera way of working but but yeah, even putting the content aside, I did think, oh, social media, we're going to get it. It's going to work. And it didn't work. And I was actually better off just leaving them to their devices and probably hiring some actors who were really good at hitting camera and just sticking to the formula of what a show should be rather than thinking I could engineer it, engineer the views so and I could get the hits and it didn't work out. So that was a learning curve for me there as well.
0: Mm-hmm. It's super. It's really interesting the way it sounds like you you sort of have to learn from each other, almost like the more established older commissioners, and then you guys and kind of like bringing it together. But as, as, as quite a, as, as quite a, a kind of meaty question, obviously, I think, like I said, at the top of the show that like the 16 to 34 conundrum, sort of is that <laughs> is the conundrum almost of our like, it feels like of the past, like few years, at least. Um, it's like, how do you get this age bracket? to continue interacting with traditional broadcasters. And sometimes it feels like they're trying to move too fast. Sometimes wrong steps are made on the way, but what overall, how do you guys think the traditional broadcasters are are getting on with the 16 to 34 demographic at the moment?
1: I would say if we look at the picture of the whole, pretty bad I think I think 16 to 34 is maybe a bit too big of a category that they focus on anyway I think the drop-off at the moment that we found and we've done you know lots of research in this area is that you know British television does children's content incredibly well you know and and it has done for at least my lifetime and and far far beyond that Uh, and they tend to do specific programming you know for older people very well as well but there's this big drop-off zone in between and i think some of the broadcasters are starting to realize but don't really know how to act in that space but it's really and it's really kind of what we focus on which is that sort of 12 to 24s and uh in the in the sort of marketing world they'll refer to them as generation z and they're the ones that are you know myself included, have grown up with the internet with online um, and, you know, shifting over quicker than ever over to, you know, Netflix and YouTube, you know, et cetera. And I think, you know, BBC are making, you know, maybe positive steps with BBC Three returning. Channel Four has always... I think, you know, had hits and misses in that category. But I think generally speaking, broadcasters aren't really doing too fab of of hitting that demographic. You know, shows that are really big and relevant for young audiences, like Sex Education, for example, which was shocked around all the broadcasters in the UK, ended up on Netflix because none of the broadcasters would take that risk. But it was a fantastic show that hit that demographic perfectly. And so, you know, I think, I, I don't know if it goes down to the fact that the people that are making the decisions at the broadcasters just don't understand young audiences. Uh, I've been to kind of pitching event and different things where they put up, a, you know, screen full of influencers they've worked on and half of them, I wouldn't even cast as influencers. I would call them traditional celebrities that found their fame on television. And, and I don't know if there's, I think there's a big disconnect between, you know, what young audiences want from their content and what they're getting on, on broadcast.
0: And it feels like not for the want of trying, right? Like, everything Uh, sometimes I feel like the more the broadcasters try almost the worst it becomes like the more you deliberately try and prioritize this demographic if you don't quite know what you're doing then then you can sort of land yourself in hot water almost
1: I think they try but I think they kind of try in the wrong way Mm. and it's it's commonly like you know it's kind of like the problem that we think is, is that young people aren't involved in the creation of shows. And so they keep going back to the same echo chambers and asking them to make content for young people. And they don't speak to, and maybe they are doing that more now, but they don't speak to people like Danny and myself who are doing this and do understand this. It, it I think it's kind of difficult to get stuck in the same echo chambers in that way. And I think, Interestingly, there's a shift in the hires that the SVODs are making as well, that they're hiring more traditional TV folk. And I think they've got to keep their eye and make sure that this doesn't happen there as well. Um, but to their credit, they're also, you know, aware of that and are making efforts towards that. But I think really, it, you know, I kind of see some of the content that goes out on, say, BBC Three. And I'm like this. I don't know where you kind of thought this would ever hit. And then you wonder why it's sort of canceled after one series and doesn't pick up an audience.
0: How about you, Danny? You, you talked a little bit earlier about gaining that reputation for, for content that, that skews young. So how do you think the broadcasters are getting
2: on? Okay, so hit, hit and miss. I'm, I'm only getting traction now after years of plugging away, right? I think the difference between why it happened now versus why it didn't happen earlier on is the channels hired younger. They hired people that were uh, closer to my demographic, closer to my age group and who, number one, understood the talent, number two, understood um, audience patterns in terms of behaviours outside of television. So what they're into. So we had a show called Scam Stories that was on BBC Three last month. And that was a show about how young people get scammed. And actually the 16 to 34 demographic is the most, especially the 20s to 30s, are the most scammed age group, even more so than elderly people. And that's essentially BBC Three's audience, right? And it took a commissioner that was fairly young, probably my age, or maybe like maybe forty even, but that's still like by commissioner standards, that's somewhat young. She got it, and she understood that the the kids getting scammed, the young people getting scammed are the, the same demographic that would watch BBC Three, that would watch a rap game, for example, that would watch uh, Glow Up and whatnot. So I think when you're somewhat aware of what your audience does outside of just watching TV. That starts to help you understand your customer, and so I've I've realised that with scam stories that that's worked. I mean, I hope they give us a series. We outperformed expectations anyway, so it is <laughs> hoping that. But I do think that they need to keep on hiring younger, have young people in the office, have young people in the building, have young people in the commissioning uh, commissioning process. Because I think you need that perspective. You need you need to stay grounded. And I'm not going to know everyone that's young. Like I'm 35, right? Mm-hmm. Brandon, how old are you? I'm 20. Jesus Christ, do I feel like a believer? <laughs> uh, but I think, I think I need to be around people like Brandon because he's going to know about behaviours that I'm not going to know about, right? And so I think you constantly have to be you know, there's no, there's no hierarchy. There's no snobbishness. Keep everyone, keep everyone in the mix. Keep your young people in the mix because they're going to know what's going on. If I wanted to do stuff for BBC Two, I'm aware of their demographic. I'm probably going to have some people older than me and probably that might have gone to even a different school than me in the room when I'm trying to get into that mindset of who that customer
1: is. So yeah, I think it varies. Having young people in the room is important, I think. but equally important is empowering them and listening to them. You know, in my past life when I used to, travel a lot and do speeches and things like that. My one piece of advice to people when trying to engage with young audiences is to like sit in a room and listen to them and talk to them Um, because not enough people, you know, at big marketing agencies and similarly at broadcasters spend time doing that. You know, you look at, say, the Netflix model of working, which is of freedom and responsibility within their organisation, essentially, anybody can speak up and talk and, and give their opinions. Whereas, you know, in a more traditional hierarchy, you know, and you hire young talent and, and you don't listen to them, it's very easy to not listen to them. Whereas, so, you know, I don't know if there's shifts that need to happen in all, in organisations to allow that to be, but... Yeah, I probably haven't spoken to commissioners that are anywhere close to my age. So
3: I think you'd struggle to find it, to be honest.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think you must be the youngest person in television, Brandon.
3: Do you guys have any other people kind of like similar age? Do you, do you kind of have any networks where you're you can chat to people and talk about how it's different for you guys? Is that do you have any community around you? Uh,
1: not so much in the television industry. I mean, I think in the wider business, and you know industry there definitely is you know I volunteer a lot with the charity Young Enterprise and so I spend a lot of my life being embedded and talking to young people you know that are in school just coming out of school in university and things like that people that are my age are still in university Um, and so I spend you know a lot of my friends so to speak you know of a younger age and are watching that sort of the content that, that we want to kind of hit but yeah it wouldn't surprise me if I'm you know one of the younger ones in the television industry uh and i wouldn't say there's necessarily super super strong networks for that um right now maybe there is but i haven't come across them uh, you know on the counter side we have in the advisory boards and the chairman's such that is significantly older than me and even you know my my co-founder is is older than me as well and i think it we like to bring kind of the mixture of youthful thinking, but also, you know, kind of, you know, knowledge and expertise that, that I maybe lack and, and sort of bring that into a wider picture.
0: Yeah, it's really hard. It's hard time hard time to be a young person in TV for sure. So it's, mm-hmm. it's encouraging to hear all of this. And it feels like one of the lessons to take away from today is, is um, different generations need to work together for sure yeah. to, to come up with the best ideas. And, and are you guys are you guys finding yourselves speaking a lot to sort of quote unquote youth skewing platforms so are there there new platforms out there where you're constantly pitching ideas
1: kind of I think it's a it's a real variety we we've spent a lot of the last year focusing on bringing in talent and bringing in people and then you know cultivating relationships but you know I think I'm as a as a company we're more excited of working with the traditional players and changing those than than the newer players so to speak um, and so we don't really work you know directly you know for content on youtube for example because that's kind of not our forte right now but i think we 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 as a company like to go after kind of opportunities and bigger wins rather than quicker wins
2: yeah, no, agreed. Uh, we're definitely go, we go for the bigger picture over here as well. I think we did our, we paid our dues by taking the lower hanging fruit um, as and when we needed to. One for company survival and, you know, just making sure the bills are paid. And then um, they, they got a point where we we're like, we don't want to just be taking the scraps here. Um, and I think when we got our first one hour and we could see the budgets that we were playing with, we're like, OK, you don't want to then go back to minimum wage after that, you know. So oh, we just kept on going and going and going. And that that brought a shift in our thinking time, thinking space as well. And at the same time, we were getting, we were in talks with Channel 4 who wanted to invest in us. And then naturally, when you've got investors on board, they want to, you know, they want you to be going for those big one hours, those big returnable series and so forth. So I think that also helped push us to be wanting more as well and target, you know targeting the big players more and actually holding the commissioners to account as well and the channels to account like look we paid our dues um we can we very much can deliver but it took us to deliver we had itv funny black and on tv it um it exceeded the channel average for that slot and it i made sure that everyone knew about it uh, channel wise and stuff <laughs> and then yeah from there we got more work off the back of that so yeah and also just to go back to the previous point as well in terms of networks uh, i my network i There's not many companies that are saying, say my generation, but, you know, I'll speak to Alex Siegel over at InterTalent who runs the ship over there. He's very in tune with talent and I obviously have that talent management background, so I can bounce ideas off with him. Equally, he can then also keep me in the loop with the talent that they're excited about and working on. And um, me and him have just developed, you know, a real good friendship in terms of what's going on in the other person's industry and what we need to be thinking about, what we need to be knowing about and uh yeah i think that's the main that's the network that i have there are some people that are older than me that have production companies and i do tap to them for advice as well um we have agents now as well over at uh, caa so we'll talk to them and bounce ideas with because there's wisdom in some of the stuff they're talking you know i can get a lot of value from their experiences
1: yeah, 100% you might, yeah you might
2: have um you know, then we might be at different places now in terms of what the ecosystem's like now versus back then, but the art of negotiation is timeless, you know. Mm -hmm. The the, the, how to not let your ego take over is timeless, you know. So, you know, I working with older people, I I love it just as much because there is so much knowledge, you know, I can take from them and that I can apply to uh, my business. But equally as well, working with the youngers, I can apply my knowledge and know-how to them as well but also learn learn from them
1: yeah I think I, I completely agree Danny I think that there's this kind of you know we we've we realized this really early on I think there needs to be this mixture of generations and this mixture of work you know most of the people that we have on our on our advisory board are all you know kind of you know, retired from the television industry or more in consultancy roles have, you know, been previous commissioners or have been, you know, previous from the legal side of things. And I think I I always find some of the most insightful conversations to have are with people that are older. But I think we can, you know, it's it's about, I think for us, we've been very fortunate that we haven't had to go after, you know, small things that would only pay minimum wage, so to speak, Um, because, you know, Lizzie and I kind of have financial backing but i think we you you always want to think and think big you know commissioners need to think big as well and they need to you know take those risks um because you know fundamentally that's what business is about
3: Um, well, thanks, guys. I think we'll uh, wrap up there. We just have a little bit of time left to do um, our cheeky little segment, which is what we've been watching. But I thought maybe it might be an interesting thing to maybe get you guys' views on some shows that skew a bit younger that have you've watched that have kind of nailed it a bit. So, yeah, Danny, maybe kick off not to put you
2: on the spot so just caveat this as well this might be where i embarrass myself and say i haven't seen that i haven't seen that i haven't seen that but go on (laughs) i'm all i'm all playing though
3: go for it kick off what have you seen lately
2: uh last chance you on netflix Mm -hmm. yeah uh love that show the all accessible areas basketball warts and all under i love an underdog story i love an underdog story so i love that yeah brendan your turn
1: I could probably throw off a cut. I mean, the big one that I think is being broadcast right now that I've been loving is obviously Line of Duty, which I think everybody's been loving, no matter your age. I think one of the big hits for me in the last year has been Bridgerton. And I think how that brought modern themes, you know, into a period setting just works so, you know, sort of intrinsically well, I think, for, you know, sort of any age group. I've watched the show and equally my mum's watched it, you know. And I think, but I think a show that is done incredibly well for young audiences has gotta be uh RuPaul's Drag Race I think it was a spark of genius to bring that in a UK setting my only sort of sadness about it all is that they didn't give it a broadcast slot because it could have been such a better viewing experience and a community feel if they would have given it a spot on um a television channel so i hold out hope that it will find its home maybe on bbc3 but in all honesty it's such a good show they should have put it on bbc1
0: and it's interesting you say line of duty as well because like
1: mm-hmm.
0: it just feels like so many people watch it that it naturally captures every demographic but i think its share increase is just as much for 16 to 34 year old viewers as it is for any other demographic.
1: yeah I, I've watched Line of Duty since the start. You know, as a huge fan of Bodyguard and lots of other shows Jed did, and I think it just goes to show. I think that good stories translate across generations, mm. and it. I think one of the most exciting things that Line of Duty sort of bought is that element of suspense that you get across the the nation and I don't know if a drama has quite done that in in recent memory you know the idea of at the end of you know an episode a couple of weeks ago of you know who is she related to who is that connection and those sort of discussions spark across social media and and capture so many people Um, and I think that's kind of I think what will bring success in broadcasting in the future. And that's fundamentally why Line of Duty has been so successful, is just because of amazing writing that leaves audiences in suspense.
0: Good stuff. Well, it's been such a pleasure listening to the two of you. I found it super insightful. So thanks so much. We'd love to have you on again sometime soon.
3: Yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks, guys.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Have a good day. Enjoy everyone. Thank you for listening to the Broadcast News Wrap with the fantastic duo of Danny Joshi and Brandon Ralph of Big Deal Films and Studio B fame. I've been Max Goldbart and I've been co-hosting with Hannah Bowler. This podcast was edited by Hannah Bowler. You can check out all 43 past episodes of the pod on Spotify and iTunes or on the website via www.broadcastnow.co.uk.